0: I'm going to read an extended passage out of John chapter four, First John chapter four, First John four. If you want to follow with me, First John four, picking up at verse seven. And as you'll notice, there's a recurring word throughout this passage, and it is the word love. And let me just say that there there are at least three words in the New Testament. You've heard this, you know this. But uh, there are three words for love. Uh, One of them is eros, which is, uh, we get our word erotic, and that's romantic-type love. The second one is phileo, which the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. So it's the love we have for one another as kin. And then the third one is agape love, which is God's love. And it's unique. It comes from God. It's a sacrificial love that God alone has. As we read this passage, each reference to love is agape or agapeo. The, it's the term for love. So it it helps us to know that I think at the outset. So let's read from First John chapter four, starting at verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in that and this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not uh, not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God... And hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, how can he, he, how he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's take a minute and ask the Lord for help. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you most of all that you love us. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. Uh, Thank you for loving us in the times we forsake you. Lord, as we look at these phrases, I pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, and help us to have a, a broader understanding and a greater sense of your love for us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, Google can do a lot of things for you. A lot of them not good. Depends on where you go. Google can keep you from pride. It keeps me from pride. If I think I have a novel idea, occasionally something will come to my mind, and I'll think, that has to be new thought. And all you need to do is Google the thought, and it will burst your bubble in a hurry. Because... You'll find, and as I did in, in the, what I'm going to talk about this morning, you'll find that not only have people thought about it, but they've written articles and books about it. And so, uh, when we were getting ready for Old Fashioned Sunday, Brother Bill was going to talk about the, kind of the history of the church, the message, the historic message of the church, which set my mind on a, on a track I began thinking, what what did this church preach? What year was this church founded? Uh, originally or as French as well. Uh no originally. Something like 1807. Sixteen. Tell me how many years that is. <laughs> okay, somebody over the age of sixteen. How many years is that? They're a long time. My math doesn't work up here. But 1807, that's a long time. And I think that the things we're going to talk about have been the historic message of this church since 1807. But more than that, they have been the historic message of Christ church, the larger church, for 2,000 years. And, and this is the message of the church. And so I start thinking about it in these terms. How do I reduce this message down Uh, I didn't say I'm going to be brief, but how do I reduce this message down to just a few words? Uh, And then the term irreducible minimum came to mind, and so I searched irreducible minimum. And I found that not only has it been thought about, but it's been written on in theology, in law... Uh, in math. It's been written in all kinds of disciplines. Somebody has had the thought, irreducible minimum. In fact, I ran across a phrase, unfamiliar to me. I took a little bit of high school Latin, but it's been so long ago, I don't remember it. But a little phrase, a Latin phrase, which is sine qua non. Now, what's that mean? It means without, which, Not. And so the idea of that is that there is an essential element that must be in order for the larger truth to be. And I think in law, we have at least one lawyer here, you can correct me, they use the term but for. Is that true, Ray? But for. And the idea is this. Uh, Let me give you a couple of illustrations. I'll talk to my grandkids. Is that okay? But before, but for the fact that you didn't do your homework, you wouldn't have gotten a bad grade, right? The element that of the good grade was depended on doing the homework. So there's an essential element that must be true in order for the premise to be true, but for. And so is there an essential element that has to be true in the church, the sine qua non, is there an essential element that has to be true in the church in order for the church to be a church the, and present the message of Jesus Christ. And I think this passage contains it. If you read through with me, and we're just going to take some phrases out of the passage and look for the irreducible minimum, the message of God and the description really of God himself. You notice as we, as we read... Uh, the first phrase in verse 7 was, love is of God. Love is of God. And I, I chewed on that a bit. I thought, what, what exactly does that mean? It says something a little different, that God is love. But love is of God. And let me give an illustration you can all see. Uh, this pulpit is of wood. Right? Would you agree with me? Anybody argue with that? Uh, and Charles uh, has made the pulpit years ago, so we know that's true. But the pulpit is of wood. If we have no wood, do we have the pulpit? No. And if we don't have God, I don't believe we have love. Love is of God. God is the origin of love. God is the definition of love. Ultimately, God defines love love is of God that that makes sense you follow with me love is of God that's the first phrase here but then he takes it a step further in verse 8 and again in 16 and he says God is love now that's saying something a little different we usually think of love as a verb but in the context of this in verse 8 and 7 love isn't a verb it's a noun You know, a noun is the, I I should have some of the kids that tell us what a noun is, but I won't embarrass them. A noun is a word that describes a person, place, or thing, but it also describes an idea, a concept. And so an abstract noun is something that you can't touch, taste, feel, but it's something that is a real entity uh, but it's not a physical entity, it's an idea, a concept. And so, love in this passage, like truth would be, like faith would be, love in this passage is a noun, and it's describing something that is paralleled with God. Uh, God is love. In his essence, God owns the concept of love. You can't conceive of Love, real love, without conceiving of God, because God is love. So it all starts with the origin of love is God. But then in the same passage, look at, uh, there's a natural question that flows out of this. And that is, what does that love look like? Uh, Can we see any examples? Look at verse 9 and 10. In this... And when I see that, I have to say in what, uh, in this, what, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. And what is love? Not that we love God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. So we we learned from the beginning that a characteristic of this love of God is sacrifice. And that's true today, folks. If you say you love someone and you're thinking of the love of God, I have that kind of love toward a person, it will mean sacrifice. Myrna and I celebrated 60 years of marriage this week, and uh, Myrna will tell you that in those 60 years, there's been a lot of sacrifice, mostly by her. She sacrificed her home to move about the countryside. She sacrificed her security and her stability, and, and so have my sons, but why did they do that? Why did they sacrifice like like that because out of love, and so love is marked by sacrifice and in this passage, it says that God loved us so much that he sent his Son to be the satisfaction for our sin. That is love. You want love illustrated it 's in christ coming. Uh, Romans 5 8, God showed his great love toward us by sending his son, by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. So there's another element here, and that is that God loves us even when we're not so lovable. Now I know you find it hard to believe there are times when I'm not lovable, but certainly there are, and she could tell you of many of them. But God loved me anyhow. And did you know that God loves you even when you're not lovable? He knows your secret places. He knows the darkness. And we've all had it, folks. He knows all about us. And did you know that He loves you anyhow? In fact, He loved you so much that He he came to make provision for that darkness. He came to take... Our sin away. Uh, Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. No power in heaven or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to see love? You want to see love illustrated? Look at Jesus. That Jesus came, and that while Phil was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And you know what? In all of these years, with all the failures, uh, with all the departures, the Lord has always loved me. And that's true of you, too. We used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Folks, Jesus loves you. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God is love and God loves you through Jesus Christ. The Lord loves you. And, you know, there was a time in my life I grew up as a, uh, in my spiritual life, kind of a flaming fundamentalist. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Uh, Fundamentalists don't talk about love because Only liberals talk about love. And we miss an enormous part of the message of Christ. When we talk about God's holiness, we need to talk about it. I didn't say love is all that God is. I just said God is love. There's a difference, right? And we talk about God being eternal. All good. Uh, We talk about God being sovereign. All good. But if, if we talk about all those things and never get to the reality that God is love, we've missed something. And I think we've missed the bare essential of his person. I think these other things are dependent on the fact that God is love. Can you conceive of God and him not being loved? Can you even conceive of it? Will your mind even go there? Uh, I hope not, because it's unimaginable. Because God is love. And God has shown us what that love is like through Christ. So, love is of God, the phrase says. God is love. And then God has manifested this love toward us when Christ took our sins. Now there's another uh, line of truth that runs through this whole passage. In fact, the whole book of 1 John. And it is that if we are of God and God is love, then what must be true of us? That we are people of love, right? That if we are of God, and he's love, for us to be of God, we must be a people of love. Uh, Beloved, he says in verse 7a, uh, let us love one another. In verse 8, if we do not love, we do not know God. Beloved, if God so loved us, verse 11 says, we ought to love one another. Uh, And guess what? They won't know who we are. They won't know about our faith through right doctrine. Right doctrine is important. We need to know what we believe. They won't know about our faith through an elegant presentation of the truth. Even though that's important. Uh, beyond me, but it's important. Uh, what, how they'll know about our faith is by our love for others. And the, the mark of God's people has to be love. This troubles me a little because people do some very unlovable things, don't they? You read the newspaper. Uh, You don't have to look that far. You can probably just live in your own home for a week and you'll find things that aren't very loving. So, people do things that aren't lovable. So, what's our response to that? Love doesn't mean you approve of everything they do. That's not what it means at all. Uh, Love doesn't mean that you ignore when they do wrong. In fact... That's not love at all. That's not what God did. Uh, Love means that no matter what they've done, you still want for them the very best. So much so that you'll give of yourself to see to it. So love isn't this the pet the puppy kind of thing. Love goes way beyond that. I like puppies. But that's not real love. Real love is that I'm willing to go out of my way, to do something that's contrary to what I really want to do in order to uh, show the love of Christ. And I will just tell you, where's Tim? He's back in the sound room. Last Thursday night, I did not want to be at Trail Life. I just didn't want to be there. I wanted to do something else. But I knew that they were already shorthanded. And so I thought, I I must go to trail life. And when I got here, we have all these little boys from six, most of the kids we were around, from about six to ten. And as the evening went along, I just realized that the Lord loves these little boys, and so must I. And so that little tiny sacrifice of getting out of my recliner, which is exactly what I would be been doing. Does anybody identify with that? But getting out of my comfort zone and going and just to speak a word of encouragement to these kids, that is a demonstration of love. And, and love's like that. Love requires us to, to say, to do those things which maybe are out of our comfort zone. Uh, listen, love requires us To go to someone, swallow our pride, and go to someone and say, I love you, in spite of, I love you. You don't have to say, in spite of, just I love you. To someone that really doesn't deserve it, maybe, but I love you. And that's a sacrifice of self. That's the kind of things that love represents. In this passage, uh, Chapter 3 in particular, it says this in 317, if you have your Bible open, I'll paraphrase it. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from them, how does the love of God abide in him? So you see someone in need and you say, tough bananas, you know, not going to be troubled by that at all. Then how does the love of God, if you have substance and are able to help them, how does the love of God show itself when we don't help people in need? Uh, how does the love of God abide in him, verse 18 says. And then he says, my little children, let's not say we love. Let's show our love by our actions. Notice in verse 17 of chapter 4, there's a phrase there that, that caught my attention. The end of that verse, verse 17. Listen to this. As he is, so are we in the world. As he is, so are we in the world. Now, chew on that for a second. As Christ is, the one who loved us and died for our sins, As Christ is, so are we, his followers in the world. You are the representative of Jesus Christ in this world, and and you are the carrier of the love of Christ to the world. They're not going to get it anywhere else other than through his people. Uh, As he is, so are we in this world. Let me read something, uh, another fairly lengthy passage, but listen to this. Uh, I think it's relevant to the topic. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. You all know it. Read it more weddings probably than any other passage. But let me just read it. Because listen for the sine qua non. Listen for the essential uh, minimum of what marks out God's people. And it says this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, i would become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, a noisy gong. So I can speak really well. Some of you do. But if we don't have love, then it's just a sounding noise, un- 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 a nerving sound without love. And then he goes on. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love. I'm nothing. You can be eloquent. You can have all the answers. And if you don't deliver them in love, they're to no avail. I've watched in churches where pastors have been wonderful preachers, well-educated, well-schooled, but they didn't really love the people. And... What happens to that church? It's dry and cold and calloused and they don't have the heart toward people. Uh, I've also seen churches where a man much less eloquent has stepped up before them but he loved the people and they knew it. Have you seen this? He loved his people and because of it they prospered. Ah, Maybe they didn't have thousands but they prospered. And so You can have the gift of prophecy. You can understand mysteries. But if you have not love, they're nothing. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I think there are lots of people who give. uh, They have lots. They give lots. But it's about themselves. It's not given out of love. It's not given because they really have compassion toward people. It's given so that their name gets on the wall. Reading on. uh, Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Whether they be prophecies, they will fail. Whether they be tongues, they will cease. Whether they be knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. Speaking of Christ. And when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then look at these last two verses. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is... Love, right? So, do you think that we can rightly say that the irreducible minimum of the follower of Christ is love? Isn't it? And, and don't you think that the irreducible minimum, the sine qua non, the without, with, not, uh, don't you think that, that that essential element of God himself is love? And I said earlier, can you conceive of a God who isn't love? No. Our minds won't even allow it. God is love, and folks, we are representatives of the God of love, and He loves so much that He died for our sins. That's love. He sacrificed for us, he sacrificed Himself. You know, there was a song some years back. Um, I I remember it by Dion Warwick. So you probably will, too. I think Burt Bacharach was another one. And just the one verse says this. Uh, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I don't know what kind of love they were talking about. Could have been something illicit. I don't know. But, but listen to the lyric. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's much too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Not just for some... But for everyone. But isn't, isn't that true? You know, I, as I look out, I, I can't know everything going on in your life. Don't want to. That would be scary. But maybe there's someone in your life that you don't like what they're doing, uh, you don't appreciate their conduct, you don't appreciate their attitude. This is the time to say, God, while I don't appreciate what they're doing, I love them. That's an act of will. That's a decision to make. I love them, and I will love them. And then it might be that God will call on you to sacrifice of yourself in some way to show that love. So again, if you heard nothing else... And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and came to be the satisfaction for our sins. That's how much God loves you. Have you ever experienced the love of God, the satisfaction for sin that Christ made at Calvary? Have you ever said, yes, Lord, I thank you for that love, and I believe that my sins were taken away? Uh, That's love.